You and I live in a world of distractions, a thousand things that vie for our attention, our affections, and, and ultimately for the core of our heart. And while it's one thing for us to individually become distracted, collectively as the church, when we become distracted, we start placing other things as kind of our priority and what drives us. And so this Wednesday, we're kicking off a new midweek study called Gospel Above All by J.D. Greer. J.D. Greer is a pastor at Summit Church in Raleigh-Durham. He's current president of the Southern Baptist Convention, um, of, of which we're part. Uh, but this is a, a study that'll take us uh, to Christmas and um, just kind of a couple of along the way announcements. Um, uh, Randy Cunningham is going to be leading and facilitating this on Wednesday nights. Um, it's, it's a video based. We've got the books. Uh, I've got several of them. They're about, they're, I think they're $15 each. I'm not sure, something like that. I think it's in your bulletin. But don't let the cost be a deterrent. If you don't have the $15, still come and be a part of it. If you've not been part of Midweek, let me and just encourage you to jump back in and, and pick up and, and run with this. Now, you're asking the question, why is Randy leading this? Why aren't you doing this? Uh, for the next uh, couple of months, I'm going to be taking the students on, on midweek, on Wednesday nights, and kind of pour into them and, and, and build our students up a little bit over these, these few months as we're, as we're still transitioning uh, and looking for that next uh, generation pastor to come and, and take the, the, the mantle of leadership for our students. So, um, so that's kind of the, the midweek plan for the, the next two or three months as we're as we're pressing forward so all of you youth age students we're gonna be hanging out all right ready for short you're gonna be there that's right Awesome. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to the book of 1 John. We're going to continue walking through 1 John together uh, and, and addressing a very important issue, and that is the issue of sin. And last night during Fairburn Festival, as you're turning to uh, 1 John chapter 3, uh, during Fairburn Festival, I had a survey that I was, uh, that I was doing among uh, just people that were milling about in the, um, in the uh, community. Uh, this is a survey that I got from another church down in Noonan. I saw them do it uh, in, in, in the public sphere. I was like, this is actually a great idea. I'm going to take it. I'm not a, at all opposed to taking other people's ideas and making them my own. So we're going to do this what we did. Uh, and so I'm walking around, and it's just a simple 10-question survey. Um, and it just kind of starts asking, hey, did, did you grow up with a church background? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in moral absolutes? Um, do you believe that you have ever personally done anything wrong? Hey, if, if you were going to go to heaven, what do you think your chances of making it, would, making it in would be? And so it gives them you know, the option Definitely, uh, probably, hopefully, maybe, not at all a chance. Well, what do you think God requires of you to get in heaven? Hey, do you believe that the Bible is God's word? And, and that's just where the survey ends. And, and you think, well, okay, well, how is that going to bridge? What ends up happening when doing the survey is you get to the bottom of it. You've taken a little bit of their time. They're out there trying to have a good time. You know, watch their kids go down a slide, spin around on this thing, eat a, eat a chicken leg or something, you know, whatever they're doing out there. And, and, and the question I end with is, hey, thank you for your time. Um, I, I appreciate that you took time to do this survey with me. But let me ask you just one more question. I, I noticed up here when I asked your chances of getting to heaven, you, you, man, you put it like 50 to 60%. Would, if there was a way for you to know 100%, would you want somebody to tell you, would you like to know what that is? And, and I had opportunity to talk with, with people. And here's what I found about just other people in Fairburn. There is a whole lot of confusion about heaven and hell. 
There's a whole lot of confusion about what God requires. There's a whole lot of confusion about what it truly means. One lady told me, yes, um, I believe that heaven is a free gift you earn. It's a free gift you earn. That was the question. The question was, is it a free gift or is it something you earn? It's a free gift you earn. Well, I don't know about you, but if you earn it, that takes away the whole nature of it being a gift, doesn't it? And it's a gift. Ladies, you're sitting there at the house. Your husband comes in and he's got this nice bouquet of roses for you. And your thought is, oh my goodness, my husband loves me. He's, he's blessed me. He's given me this gift of roses. And you're like, man, my husband loves me. And then he says, well, you earned him. You cooked dinner yesterday. I have a pretty good feeling you're going to stick the thorny end of the rose down his throat in your mind. It takes away the nature of the gift if you have to earn it. Well, that brings us into 1 John chapter 3. Because the question that we're going to wrestle with today is what, how sinfulness impacts us as followers of Christ. What is the nature of sin and how does it relate to us as Christians? And if you've got your place in 1 John chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 4 and we're going to go through verse 10 together. And this is what it says. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. You know that he, Christ Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in Christ sins. No one who, has sin, who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this very purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who was born of God practices sin because no one, excuse me, because he, his seed abides in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love God his brother. Let's pray together. Father, this is an opportunity for us to step into your presence as a congregation and hear your word. Lord, Lord we've, we've been singing wonderful Savior, precious Jesus. We've been lifting high the name of our Savior and King. And Lord, what we want to do is, is elevate ourselves by the power of the Spirit into the realm of your throne where we are already seated because of the good news. Lord, what we want to do is we want to enter into this collective space together for listening to your word and allowing our hearts to be transformed by who you are and what you have done in us. Because we weren't saved to be alone. We were saved as being part of your kingdom, of your people, of your family to have fellowship with one another because of our fellowship with you that would send us into the streets of Fairburn, into the streets of Georgia, into the streets of this country and around the world with the good news of Christ Jesus. So God, I ask that you would help, our, help us move past our sinfulness. Lord, this morning we ask that our sinfulness would not be a barrier for us being able to hear your word clearly. And we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. 
So this passage of scripture is really two parts that seemingly repeat themselves. We've got verses four to seven that starts off with everyone who practices sin. And then we get to verse uh, eight and it says the one who practices sin. And, And we have a couple of different scenarios play out that John describes for us as it pertains to what is the nature of sin. See, All of us, we would agree, if you are in Christ, if you have been baptized, if you've been saved, you've made some sort of profession of faith. And part of that profession was the admission that you yourself have sinned. Much unlike the guy I spoke with yesterday who told me that he did believe that there were moral absolutes, things that are definitely right and things that are definitely wrong. And he had never done anything that was wrong. Left to ourselves, this is the way that we think. We are always right and therefore our actions are right. And as we've walked through 1 John, we've actually addressed that. The one who says he doesn't have sin has made God to be a liar. There are a lot of people I would be glad to call a liar. God is not one of those persons. Because the word of God stands as true. And so we start looking at what happens in our life. But here's the thing. Just because you're saved, does that mean that you no longer sin? What what happens if you're saved and you do sin? What what happens if if, if we're walking through this life and and sin encounters? And, And so what we find is that we have to be aware of the practice of sin. We have to be aware of what sinfulness brings into the world and what sin, how sin affects us. Awareness of the practice of sin is the first one there. We, we've got to know what's going on. He says this, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. Now, if we're going to engage in a conversation about sin and sinfulness, probably one of the first questions that we need to address is simply this. What is sin? What is sin? I, I love having gospel conversations during vacation Bible school. Um, this year, we had, we had a, uh, an intentional night, uh, as, as many years we do, of, of sharing the gospel during, during vacation Bible school. And, and children that indicated they might be somewhat interested in, in hearing more about the gospel, uh, we'd sit down and talk with them. Pastor Darius sat down and talked with uh, three or four of the, student, uh, the kids this, week, this year. I had about four or five that I sat down and talked with, just having on-on conversations. And one of the questions was, well, what is sin? Because in Vacation Bible School, we learn our ABCs. A, admit to God you're a sinner and confess. B, believe that Jesus is God's own son. Uh, C, confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Those, those are the steps that we teach in Vacation Bible School. Well, if you're going to admit that you're a sinner, we've got to ask, well, what makes you a sinner? Well, I sinned. That's what makes me a sinner. Well, what is sin? I love asking that question to kids because you get some really, really good answers. Um, when I pull my sister's hair because she hit me, that's sin. Or, or when, when my mommy tells me to clean my room, but I go and play with my trucks instead. You know, th- these are the things that, that people, they're good answers because they're accurate. Well, what is sin? He says here in this passage of scripture, you know that everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. 
In the New Testament, the primary word that's used for sin is the Greek word armatia. Armatia is an archer's term. It, it kind of has the idea of missing the mark. It's like you're out there in archery class. You pull the bow back, you shoot the arrow, and it goes, and you got the bullseye out there. But instead of hitting the bullseye, it hits hopefully not a person. It misses the mark. And, and, and throughout the entirety of the New Testament, we consistently have this idea of missing the mark. Well, what is the mark? The mark is God's standard of righteousness, God's standard of holiness. And he says here, everyone who practices this consistent missing of the mark of God's standard of righteousness is actually practicing lawlessness. Now, this is where John actually brings us into discussion about the Christian and the relationship of sin. The word lawlessness is the Greek word onomia, without law, without principle. And what John is describing is not that you are a Christian and you cussed when you hit your thumb with a hammer or uh, you lied to your parents about whether or not you had homework or you drank too much at that party you went to or, or whatever sin we want to throw out there. What John is describing is allowing the active principle of disregard for who God is and what is God's standard to be active in our lives. What John is describing is that if you want want to truly understand sinfulness it is saying oh that's what God says okay I'm going to do this instead anyway and to make no mistake there is no place in the New Testament in our faith for that mentality and John says if this is your practice that you consistently step outside of what God has described as his word and you say well no it's just it's just a habit it's just a feeling it's just a fling we, we try to medicate the the the, the terminology we try to reduce it down to its simplest terms without coming to grips with what's going on in our heart that what we're doing is practicing a system that says, you know what, God's standard does not matter. And, and John says that is lawlessness, that is sin. Well, well, what can we do about this? If this is truly what sin and sinfulness is, because each one of us, outside of the grace of God, that's how we acted. That's how we operated. We might have obeyed our parents. We might have been truthful people. But it was because of us and not because of him. That is outside of the system that God has set in place for us to understand grace. So what do we do about that? How do we address what can be done about sin? This is what John says. He said, you know that he appeared in order to take away sin because in him, in Christ, there is no sin. When there's a problem, we try to resolve it, right? Some of you are singing Ice Ice Baby in your head right now. Those of you that were around 30 years ago then knew Vanilla Ice. If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hook when my DJ revolves it. Come on. Y'all, come on, y'all know that one. Some of y'all know that one. If you have weeds, what do you do? You get some weed killer. If you're sitting there at the house and you see this little six-legged creature run across the floor over there, you, you call an exterminator, right? Hopefully you call the exterminator or get, get a newspaper and kill it and get some raid or whatever you got to do. When the check engine light comes on on your car, you do something about it, right? 
When you know there's a problem, you try to address it. If we see that sin is a problem, there comes an issue of, okay, how are we going to address this? And, and human history is replete. It's full of example after example after example of how we try to handle it ourselves. It all started with Adam. Oh, man, uh, we ate this fruit that we weren't supposed to eat, and now we realize we're naked, we're outside of God's plan. Let's put some fig leaves together to cover it up. And, and we've been stitching fig leaves together in our lives forever. Oh, I, don't, I don't like feeling this way, so I'm going to try to get more money to make sure I don't have this issue. You know, these are all symptoms. Or, or I'm, I'm going to try to have these friends, or I'm going to try to do this, or I'm going to try to find my identity in the bottom of, of a bottle or in a relationship. And we're putting all these things, and we're trying to mask the sin that is craving and, and eating and taking more away from us. And we say, well, no, no, that's not me because I'm in Jesus. But can we be real for a minute? We're not celestial beings. In other words, we're not in the holy of holies where we can just enter and exist forever with no sin. See, the angels can't sin. They don't have the ability to choose. The angels are, are messengers. They are servants of the most high God. So they answer and do as God directs them. Period. That's, that's all they do. So, so you, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but you don't get wings when you die. You, you don't. Because we are above the angels. We are made in the image of God. Angels are not. We have the ability to relate to God. All they do is obey God and cry out his holiness. We could learn from them. But to become an angel would be to take a step down in creation, not to rise up to what he has created us to be. But here's the thing. The angels don't get a choice. They don't choose. Well, God said, imagine Gabriel. All right, Gabriel, I need you to go down here and talk to this um, young girl named Mary. Appear to her in her room while she's asleep and tell her that I, through her, am sending my Messiah. Eh, you know, I don't think I'm going to do that. I, th I think I'm just going to hang up here with the angels. Gabriel didn't have a choice. So, so it's, we're not angelic. We, the thing is, we have a choice. What are we going to do? Look what John says. He says, you know that he, Christ Jesus, appeared in order to take away sin. The only thing that can be done about sin is to look to Christ Jesus who came to remove sin. He came to take it away. Don't make any mistake here. We talk about being washed in the blood and we talk about being cleansed and it's not like your t-shirt. See, you throw your t-shirt in the wash. Man, you're, you got your favorite t-shirt. Your favorite t-shirt's probably a lot like mine. It has a little alligator right over here on it. And, and you put that thing and you're wearing it and you take a bite out of your sandwich and you drip some barbecue sauce. I'm like, man, my favorite t-shirt. I need to wash it. So you spray it with some OxyClean or shout it out, whatever you're going to do. And you throw it in the wash. Like, man, that's great. And it comes out. And, and you know what? As soon as you put it back on, it's dirty again. And deep down in the fiber of that cotton, there's still that stain. See, Jesus isn't like OxyClean or Shout where he just kind of, you rub it on and maybe it makes it better, you throw it in the wash. Jesus fully removes the sin. Fully takes it away. As, the, as David says of God, he takes our sin as far as the east is from the west. I love that image. 
He doesn't say from the north and the south. As far north as you can go, keep going, keep going. And eventually you're going to get to a point where you're going to start going south again. But you can keep going west forever and you're never going east. You circle the globe billions of time in your con- times and you're consistently going west. Maybe you're going to go east. Go east. Same thing. No matter how many times you circle the globe, you're always going east. There's never a point where east and west meet in the directions that you go. That's how far he takes away our sin. He removes our sin. Such a beautiful image. It's the image of Christ Jesus carrying away as the scapegoat. Leviticus chapter 16 and verses 20 through 22 talks about how at the day of atonement, all the sins of the people of Israel were placed on the goat, uh, the, the goat of refuse. And he was driven out of the community to carry symbolically the sins away so that they're not there anymore. See, this lawlessness, it's all under the authority of Christ. Because Christ Jesus came to remove the sin, to fully take it away. And he says this, no one who abides in him lives under this lawlessness, sins, and no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Church, this is where we've got to remember that our responsibility is to abide in Christ. Abide in him. Notice the words that John uses here. He, he uses three. and He uses them in, in kind of this, uh, this, this triangular pattern that, that pulls us into a tight understanding. He says, abide, see, and know. I love this. So the word abide means to, to live within, to remain. You, know, you, you tell people, or used to tell people, only like strange people that want to sound more classy than they are use this um, term anymore. Um, but they'll say, welcome to my humble abode, right? When you, you come to their house, like welcome to my humble, that, that's just the way that they talk. This is where I dwell. This is where I live. See, see, our abiding, our dwelling is to be within Christ. Why? Because we've seen him and we've known him. Look, look what John does when he points this back to sin. When we're abiding in Christ, we're seeing Christ for who he is. We're seeing the glory, the joy, the the, the fullness of everything that God has done in Christ Jesus, that he removes our sin. But then he says he sees him and he knows him, not knows about him. This is is a relationship that he's talking about. This This is an intimate gathering one with another. And he says everyone who walks and practices sin is practicing lawlessness. But when you're abiding in Christ, there's no room for that lawlessness because you have come to terms and to grips with the beauty that is Christ. You're not seeking your significance. You're not seeking your identity. You're not seeking your meaning in, in politics or, or in community events or in relationships or in substance or in what's in your closet or what's in your bank account or the promotion or all of these things that we try to piece together and say, this is what I'm living for. What we're doing is like, no, I abide in Christ. I am who Christ has made me to be because he is the glorious son of God. That's when we see him. That's when we see the crucified body. That's when we see the spilt blood. That's when we see the resurrected king of kings who ascended to heaven. But when we know him, when we know him, that is when we have this cocoon of security around us because of what the spirit is doing in our lives. 
This is why Christian community is important. If, if, if you know me, if, if you've heard me speak a few times, you know I am a proponent of having non-Christian friends because who else are you going to share the gospel with, right? Who else are you going to reach? If all your friends are just sitting on the pew there with you, who are you going to talk to about getting saved and getting baptized? Well, I was already saved and baptized. So, so I'm a proponent for... But I am also a proponent of having a strong family fellowship of faith. And I think too often we miss that when it comes to church. We look at church as a civic responsibility. We look at church as something to check off of our weekly list and not as an opportunity to engage with other believers, to be real with other believers, to say, you know what, this is what Christ is doing in my life as I'm abiding with him. And be real, abiding in Christ is a struggle. We talked about this in our college Sunday school class this morning. Too often we, we say we're looking for the open door, but really what we're looking for is the path of least resistance. And following Christ is never going to be the path of least resistance. So, so I, just, I, just wanna, I just want to disillusion everybody right now. If you're coming to Jesus to make your life easier, you're coming to the wrong Jesus. You're, not, you're, you're coming to a, a Jesus that you are creating after your image, after your desire. You're in violation of the Ten Commandments where it says, um, you shall make for yourself no other gods. You're, you're making for yourself a savior that didn't take away your sin, just came to be your genie in a bottle that you could just rub and there it comes, boom, and give you your wishes. That's not Christ of the scripture. The Christ of the scripture came to remove your sin and you're gonna struggle with that sin and so he's gonna continue working in your life and it's gonna be hard, it's gonna be difficult and that doesn't mean you, you, you say, you know, it's too hard, I'm gonna give up. It's not too hard when you're leaning on him. So abide in him and run to him, run to his word, run to what he says. Oh, Evan, but you don't know what I'm going through. Guess what? I don't have to because he does. As the author of Hebrews says, we don't serve this king of glory, this great high priest that can't relate to us. You ever been rejected? Yeah? Jesus was rejected. You ever been punched in the face? Either physically or metaphorically? Oh, that's a sucker punch right to the gut of the face. Jesus has. You ever been made fun of? Jesus has. You ever felt isolated? Jesus was. You ever felt poor and destitute and know where your next meal was going to come from? 40 days the dude prayed in the garden and he was so hungry that Satan tried to tempt him with food. And it wasn't just to say, look how strong Jesus is. It was to say, look, he understands. He understands. So abide in him. Come to him. Because everything else is going to fail you. And the last thing John shows us in these, in these verses is that our duty then is to practice righteousness. So if we're going to be aware of the practice of sin, the, 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 the alternative is the practice of righteousness. Look in verse 7. He says this. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. Now, I want you to notice that he does not say the one who does good deeds and he does not say the one who is kind. He does not say the one who is respectful. He does not say the one who went to Sunday school. He does not say the one who tithes. He did not say, he says the one who practices righteousness. 
And we've got to understand that biblically because practicing righteousness may be some good deeds, but it's not righteousness unless, notice as he says, is righteous as Christ Jesus is righteousness. If you're trusting in your good deeds and leaving it just to the deed itself, then you're not trusting in the righteousness of Christ. Practicing righteousness is submitting everything that you do, everything that you say, every thought that enters your heart and your mind to the glory of God in Christ Jesus because only through him do we find righteousness. Or as Paul says in Romans chapter three, there is none righteous. I don't care how much money you give to the church. I don't care how many little old ladies you help cross the street. I don't care if you're an Eagle Scout. I do not care. It's not righteousness unless it's in Christ. Man, they're good deeds. They're benevolent acts. But it's not practicing righteousness. It's notching our own belt of self-righteousness. It's notching our, it's building a monument to ourselves and what we can do and not what he has done. And realistically, ladies and gentlemen, I love you enough to tell you this. When we're doing our good deeds for any reason other than the righteousness of Christ that is in us by our faith in him, we're practicing lawlessness. Like, no, 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 but they're good deeds. It can't be lawlessness. It is. Remember what lawlessness is? Oh, God, that's your standard? Okay. Well, I'm still going to do it this way. God, your standard is the righteousness of Christ, and I've got to be in Christ to practice that righteousness? Well, thanks, but I'm still going to do it my way. I'm still going to do these same things, but without you. That is lawlessness. And we've got to be aware. But then he goes in verse 8, and he starts showing us that we have to understand the origin of sin. There's a practice, but now the question is, where did this sin come from? If, if, if we get to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, and God's made everything, he's looking around, he says, everything that I have made, and behold, it is very good. Where did the brokenness come from? Where did the sin come from? Where did the struggle, where did the pain, where did the heartache? Notice what he says in verse 8. Sorry, yeah, verse 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Now, could we leave verses 4 to 7 as they are, right where they are? Yeah, absolutely. We've got to be aware of that. But when we get through verses 8 through 10, it kind of drives it into our heart a little bit so that we can see a little bit more of the why. Because if we don't understand the why, then we are going to allow ourselves to fall into the deception of why our good deeds are okay on their own. Notice again, he says, the one who practices sin is of the devil. The one who continues to walk in lawlessness, the one who continues to allow this realm, this thought pattern that what God has said and what God is doing does not actually matter is what? Of the devil. 
And we're not talking about the water boy, Vicky Valancourt's the, Vicky Valancourt's the devil or anything, if you've seen that movie. We're not talking about that. We're looking at what God has displayed for all time of who he has revealed himself to be. So where did sin come from? Notice he says there, the devil has sinned from the, de- from the beginning. Church, I understand. It's 2019. This is the modern age. The devil is just some sort of boogeyman that your parents told you about to scare you straight so that you... No. If that thought crosses your mind, then you have already been held captive to deception. All Satan needs to do is convince you he doesn't exist and you're not going to worry about him, right? Three nights ago, I was putting Addison to bed. And she said, Daddy, I don't want you to leave my room. I said, why? She said, because there's something under my bed. What's under your bed, Addison? I don't know, but it's scary. Tell you what, let me get my flashlight and I'll look under there. So I got a flashlight on my phone. I got her bed. And I tell you what, there was something scary under her bed. The amount of trash and mess. Like, like she's taking papers and just like ripped them up and whatever. And she just throws them under her bed. And that was pretty scary. I said, babe, there's nothing under your bed. There's just some paper under here. But no, no, I heard something. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll make sure I get rid of it. So I went over to her closet. And she has this toy Disney wand that makes some noise and sings a song. It's from the show Elena of Avalor. Um, don't know anything about the show except for it comes on Disney. So I grabbed the wand. I said, tell you what, I'm going to use the wand and I'm going to make it go away. So I push the button and it goes, and starts singing this song and it's flashing these bright lights under her bed. I said, it's gone. And she went to sleep and didn't hear nothing. As long as she was able to rest, or she was able to rest as long as she had the understanding there's nothing actually under my bed. You, Satan wants you to be able to rest, so he's going to convince you he's not real. But what the Bible shows us is that from the very beginning, there was one who walked in opposition to God and said, you know what, I'm going to do it my way. I want some of your glory. I'm going to take it for myself. And, Jesus, and he says here, John says right here, from the beginning, the devil has sinned. There was sin before there was the creation of the Garden of Eden. Jesus says, I was there. I saw when Lucifer was cast down. When he was cast out of heaven. Where? To to this realm, to this earth. Because of his great rebellion. It was already there. And so to walk in sin is an understanding that we are walking in accordance with the devil. You've got to understand that there is a true principle of Satanism around you right now. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm being real with you. But the beauty is, if you have Christ Jesus, he cannot touch you. He can't. He has no power, no authority. He tries. He's trying to lure you. He's trying to pull you in. He's trying to place desires in front of you that, that will cause you to shift your focus and shift your thoughts. So it might not be that, well, I can't get you. I can't bring, drag you down to hell where I'm going to be for eternity. But here's what I can do. I can get you off track. 
I can distract you. I can pull you over here. You think that it's about politics, but it's really about an agenda I'm working. You think it's about comfort. It's an agenda I'm working. You think it's about money, but it's an agenda I'm working. All of these things that we want to feed into all pull us away because he's been sinning from the beginning because he doesn't want you to honor God in your heart. Period. So he says here, the one who practices sin is of the devil. Now, church family, specifically those of you that are in Christ, you profess a relationship with Jesus, you've been baptized, you've invited him into your heart, all the little things that we say about getting saved. I'm not giving you a sermon on sin so that you will doubt whether or not you are saved. Look with me real quick over in chapter 5, verse 13. And we're going to come back to this. I know you're looking at your outline. I mean, you got like four more blanks to fill in. Evan, we've got to hurry, get through this. It's 12 o'clock. Chapter 5, verse 13. These things are written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I'm not giving you a sermon. I'm not taking this passage to scare you. I'm using this passage to draw assurance for you that you can see this is what sin is, but this is what Christ is doing. This is the work of Christ in my life. And, and therefore, if you can't say this is the work of Christ in my life, then there is concern. I want you to be able to walk away and say, I know for sure that I have eternal life. So, so there's an opportunity for you to respond. But we come back and we ask this question, am I bound by sin? Knowing where sin comes from, knowing what the practice of lawless is, you've got to ask yourself, and I can't answer this for you, you've got to ask yourself, am I bound by sin? Well, how are you bound by sin? Look at what he says in verse 9, verse 8. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Notice what John is pairing here. He starts off, if you practice lawlessness, if you practice sin, you're practicing lawlessness. But Jesus appeared... To take away the sin. He came in order that he would take away the sin. Notice this. Anyone who practices this lawlessness is of the devil. But look, the son of God has come, has appeared for this purpose to destroy. Sin is destroyed by Christ Jesus. You want to know if you're bound by sin or not? Are you in Christ Jesus? Because if you're in Christ Jesus, the principle and the action of sin, even though you may falter, even though you may mess up, I do. It happens. I'm not proud of it. It's part of being in this flesh in real time today but if the active principle of lawlessness is is involved in you then you have not had sin destroyed by Christ you're clinging on to your fig leaves and your fig leaves might be tithing and church attendance your fig leaves might be going on a mission trip or singing in the choir your your fig leaves might even be being on a church staff somewhere these are things that we have to wrestle with as people as believers as as true individuals who know that they're Christ Sin has been crushed. It's been defeated by Christ. And I want you to notice the word that he uses in both scenarios. He says, he appeared. Make no mistake, one of the greatest deceptions that Satan's going to try to bring to you is this idea that Jesus was a man just like you were. A person, ladies, you aren't men. 
but you're of mankind. So, so a person just like all of us. He wasn't. That word appeared indicates that John understood that the Bible, and what we understand from the Bible is that Christ existed before he came in the flesh and he appeared on the scene. He showed up. He came into this world at the right time to destroy sin and to take it away. It's gone. You want freedom? It's not going to come with more money. It's not going to come with a higher credit limit. It's not going to come with a better job. It's not going to come with a, with, with a different relationship. It's going to come in Christ because he alone freeze so he says there no one who was born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God you know if you're bound by not have you been born again have you been born of God have you been born from above have you given your life to Christ have you trusted him that he is the only one that can defeat the pattern the reign of sin in your life not, 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 not somebody, we're not talking about somebody else's life. We're not talking about somebody else's sin. We're talking about, talking about yours. Because you're not responsible for my sin. I'm not responsible for your sin. You're responsible before God for your sin. And Christ Jesus died to take that sin away. And when we come to this relationship with Christ Jesus, what we're doing is saying, you know what? That is more important that is the only answer. That is the only thing that can heal, that can secure, that can pull away because he alone has destroyed the sin. So notice what he says in verse 10. By this, by what? The birthmark of Christ. The demonstration that we are out of sin because of being born in him. Because of this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. So the last blank, my life is marked by, and I can't answer that for you. I, I wish I could, but the reality is I can't fill in that blank because I honestly do not have the ability, nor would I ever claim the ability to truly know your heart. I, I know some of the outward signs. I, I know some of the, the, the physical things that I see. Man, you're here. I know right where you sit every Sunday. I don't know how much money you give because I don't need to know how much money you give. But, but, you know, I hear you talk about, you know, giving to this or giving to that, putting money in the offering plate. So, yeah, I believe, man, that's great. I see you in Sunday school. I see you when we have missions things going on. I, I can say, oh, man, all these things. And so I can make some logical assumptions but deep down I, I don't know what the mark on your heart is and, and, and John goes to painstaking links in this passage to say there are only two birthmarks that you can bear either the birthmark of your sin of right your, 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 your father of righteousness Christ Jesus the birthmark of Christ as he has transformed you because he's destroyed sin or the birthmark of your father, the devil. The birthmark of, of this lawlessness that continues to perpetuate itself. And these aren't popular things to talk about. Yesterday, as I was having a conversation with, with a man, he was sitting around the side of the... Uh, Fairburn Festival, 
there was a, like a tailgate bus set up. Had a couple of TVs. I was playing the Florida-Auburn game. And um, convenient for me, I was able to kind of see some of the game as I'm having a conversation. This guy's sitting in a Florida Gator chair, and I'm having this conversation with him. Um, had a real conversation with him. And I'm talking with him. I'm going through the survey. I'm asking these questions. We're talking about football. And he admits to me, I, I'm, I'm agnostic at best. I wouldn't call myself an atheist because I do believe there's a God out there somewhere. But, you know, I don't really care much about heaven or hell and, you know, what happens after we die. And I'm fine with that. And, and so I'm just having this conversation with him, you know. Oh, good pass, touchdown. All right. Good. Well, well, let me ask you this question. If somebody was convicted of a truth and that truth had the ability to impact what happens after you die would you want them to tell you about it and he said sure I'd be open to hearing about it I said well can I tell you my story and so I start telling him my story now this is a man who 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 believes there's a God out there but doesn't really believe in a heaven or hell he, he does believe that there are moral absolutes and he does believe that he has, he has done some things wrong in his life. But he's not a man that believes that those wrongs actually affect anything. And these were his words to me at the end. I've never had anyone, much less a pastor, talk to me about real life like this. So I gave him a phone number. And he looked at me and said, you're a pastor and you're giving me your phone number. I said, yeah, is that not a thing? He said, the pastor of the church where I grew up didn't let anybody have his phone number, not even his secretary. Nobody knew how to get in hold of him. <laughs> Must be nice. <laughs> Thoughts in the back of the mind didn't say it out loud. And I said, I want you to call me or text me. I, I want to hear from you. And he said, okay, I will. And as I left, I handed him a, another slip of paper about our kid's trunk retreat. I said, bring your son. I'd love to see you. Folks, we can, we can mask things a lot. And we can even feign this comfort this being drawn to sleep by the world around us to think that, man, sin and righteousness really isn't a big deal. But as I walked away from this conversation with this man and, and, and I passed by him two or three other times, fist bumping, hey, I'm planning on seeing you, I'm planning on you calling me. What I had to wrestle with in my own heart was this man had the greatest offer placed in front of him. And he chose to do nothing with it. What about you? You're not sitting in front of a tailgate truck out here at a festival just trying to enjoy time with your family. You're, you're not even just sitting in a church building trying to get your worship on and make sure you have your, your, your church duty done for the week. You're sitting in front of the open word of God where righteousness, where sinfulness comes to light. 
And the greatest offer that has ever been made has been for you to become a child of God. Or to demonstrate in the very fiber of your being with every decision you make, with every action of your, of your, of your life, to stem from the heart, whether it's going to be marked by sinfulness and lawlessness, therefore Satan himself, or is going to be marked by the righteousness of Christ. The greatest offer that could ever be made is not for more money, not for more prestige, not for more power, not for more friends, but for more of Christ because he gave himself to you as the eternal son of God crucified. And so what marks your life today? 